When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of When in Romance is brought to you by HTP Books with three different holiday titles for you. First up, Sleigh Bells Ring by Ray Ann Thane. All Annie McCade and Tate Sheridan needed was a little Christmas magic, and they have a week on the ranch she's determined to unload, and she will always treasure, along with her little niece and nephew, to create a holiday to remember. Next up is The Christmas Escape by Sarah Morgan. A trip to Lapland was supposed to be best friend Christy and Alex's perfect Christmas getaway. But with Christy facing a make-or-break marriage crisis and Alex trying to ignore the sizzle she's developing for a fellow guest, will their Christmas escape give them the courage to fight for the relationships they really want and save the precious gift of each other's friendship? Third on the list is The Christmas Wedding Guest by Susan Mallory. Guilted into being bridesmaids at their parents' vow renewal ceremony, sisters Reggie and Dina Somerville come together for the holiday wedding, only to find love in the most unexpected of places in their small hometown. Celebrate the magic of the season with these heartwarming holiday romances from three best-selling authors. Your holiday is booked with these stories about friendship, the festive season, finding love, and most important, family. And welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about romance novels all the time. And we get to tell you about some of our favorites. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording episode 94 on Thursday, November 11th, 2021. We are. And we got a lot to pack in. So uh, as longtime listeners will know, we do a recommendation request episode every year. Uh, and in fact, I think pretty much every year we've ended up needing to do two because that's how many requests we get in. And that is how much we love talking about the books that we are recommending to all of you. So uh, I think we're probably going to be in a two episode situation this time around. So uh, many thanks to the patients for those whose, whose books we don't get to um, for another couple of weeks. But we are very excited about it. Before we dive in, though, we do want to do a quick reminder. Don't forget to read our last 2021 book club book. It's Sweet Disorder by Rose Lerner. We're going to be discussing that uh, four weeks from now on December 9th for a December 13th episode. So be ready. Yes. And I will also say, since we're more than likely going to do a second recommendation episode, if you thought you missed your chance, now is the time, but I don't think we'll be able to go to a third. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And we are actually recording a little early next time around because of Thanksgiving. So so ASAP, I think, is the timeline for getting in any more recommendation requests. But we will also, if you find later in the year that you heard our recommendations and you really want one of your own, you can still reach out to us. We might not talk about it on the show, but we try to be as accessible as possible this time of year and also um, at least respond to any questions that come into our email. So um, just putting that out there for now, but please don't overload us or know if we get overloaded you might not hear from us immediately how about that i think that makes a lot of sense should we jump right in just and sneak one of these in before our first sponsor break let's do that all right i will read this one i think you've got a uh, the bulk of our titles for it so we got a question from Lindsay. i'm one of those many people uh who got into romance reading for the first time during the pandemic welcome I have been eating up as many books as I can read and am open to pretty much anything. However, I've noticed an affinity for historical romance. I have a long abiding love of Jane Austen and the Brontes. I've read lots of books set in the Regency and Victorian periods, but I'm curious as to whether y'all have any good recommendations set more in medieval times. I'd love to jump into a time period with knights, castles, feasts. Any good recommendations? Jess Pride, any good recommendations? Well, Lindsay... 
I have a few, I think. I will open this with saying that actually my earliest romance was mostly medieval, but I will add an extreme caveat that a lot of those books were written in the 80s and might have some things that don't hold up well right now. So I'm going to offer you Jude Devereaux as a place to visit, but maybe not stay. I wanted to throw that out there first, but my actual recommendation starts with Nicola Davidson and her Highland Menage series. And the first one is really great, but I actually prefer Wicked Passions, the second book in the in what is currently a duology and which I think she's planning to continue. And that is set in the early 1500s in the Highlands. And one of the reasons that I really like the second book is that it includes a lady swordsman um, who ends up teaching a Highland laird how to sword fight because there is currently a tourney and whoever wins the tourney gets to marry her and she's decided she wants him to marry her because all of the others are awful but he can't fight so there's give and take with that and it is a three-person relationship that develops and there is a lot of sex on the page but it's also a really interesting really fun read set in a time with knights and castles and feasts. So that is Wicked Passions. I'm actually going to let you go through your full list, Jess, because my answer to this one's a little bit more outside the box. Okay. We'll stay in the medieval lane before I before I take us on a creative adventure. Okay. Another fun one that I really enjoyed, but you'll only enjoy if you also like magic, um, is Highland Dragon Warrior by Isabel Cooper. And you might get from the title that there are dragons in in this story, but it is also set in a, in a medieval setting. So um, there is a dragon lord, I guess you would call him, and there is an alchemist who comes to said dragon person and wants one of his scales or some of his scales to do alchemy with. And he's like, sure, but you have to save my friend who is currently disappearing. Literally disappearing. If these words are familiar to you and you've been a longtime listener, I feel like I talked about this book before, but maybe I didn't. I don't know. It's been a couple of years, but there's a whole trilogy out now. And... So there's the setting of the medieval castle and the workings of that, but there's also this magical element with mage wars and lots of fun stuff. And of course, the romance between the dragon dude and the alchemist. So lots of fun, very interesting. Also, knights, castles, and feasts. So that was Highland Dragon Warrior by Isabel Cooper. And like I said, there are a couple more and they have different variations on the magic world and the dragons. The third one, I think, is a lady dragon. So yay for... Hooray! <laughs> lady Hooray, dragons. feminism! <laughs> um, and my third recommendation is a very, very short read but it is definitely worth picking up. It's Agnes Moore's Wild Night by Alyssa Cole. It actually might have been the first Alyssa Cole book I ever read, and it's set in the world of James I, and Agnes Moore is a black woman in the court, and there is a wild night. <laughs> and honestly, the book is so short, telling you any more would ruin the fun. So I'll just say it is... Very enjoyable, very quick, and if you have not picked up an Alyssa Cole book, might as well start with this one and just keep on going. It's true. Chronologically, that would work too, because it's, I think, her earliest set book. So you yes. can, you know, start in the beginning times. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of that one too. Yeah, there's a, it's like on one of the other books that you mentioned, just the um, Nicola Davidson book, there's a similar tournament and winning a prize from a, a person. So, you know, I don't know. Like you said, it's I think it's like 30, 40 pages. So yeah. jump right in. 
My recommendations, like I said, are a little outside of the box on this because I don't read a ton of medieval romance, but I do very much understand that feeling of these romances are all great, but do they all have to be just white people in the 1800s in England? Mm. And the answer is no, they do not. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple that are, are not medieval exactly, but that are at least a little bit, a little different. So the first is, uh, again, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you will know that I think our first ever one in Romance Book Club book was Butterfly Swords by mm -hmm. Jeannie Lynn. Or maybe, well, it was one of our early ones. And it takes place not, again, in medieval times, but during the Tang Dynasty in China, which is, I want to say, like, 7th or 8th century. There is a princess who is trying to get away. She does not want to marry the person that she is supposed to be marrying. So she flees and she runs into a person who uh, she then falls in love with. It's kind of delightful. Uh, but there's obviously a lot more to it than that. There's This is part road trip. Uh, there's part, you know, fam there's a lot of family drama. There's a lot going on there. So if you're looking for a, a, a historical romance that you may not be thinking of in the same way that a lot of us are thinking of, you know, the Bridgerton style, Butterfly Swords by Ginny Lynn is a great one. So another book that if you are looking for a historical that is not, you know, your traditional English countryside style is A Summer for Scandal. That's by Lydia San Andres. The thing that made me think of this one is the writer mentioning that she likes Jane, is a Jane Austen fan. And this one has a very Pride and Prejudice feel to it, to me. I don't know if it's actually inspired by Pride and Prejudice, but there are, yeah, there are two characters who are both uh, in the literary world. One of them, Ruben, has been trying to write a second book, but it's not really working out. And so he has taken up sort of being a critic. And Amelia is more, is writing kind of what we would call more like popular or contemporary fiction. She is putting out just the serial, you know, the kinds of, of books that folks had to do that were just short little pieces at a time. And they are, as it turns out, running in the same social circle. And it's very much a sort of enemies to lovers kind of a book. Like I said, it has a lot of the charm, I think, of some of those Jane Austen stories, but it, it takes place in a made-up island in the Caribbean. So that is A Summer for Scandal by Lydia San Andres. Great book. Love it. See? I love the, I love the validation. <laughs> do you want to um, hop in and do a, a sponsor break, Jess? Yes. Thank you to Grand Central Publishing for sponsoring this episode. From the author of The Notebook and The Return comes a novel about the enduring legacy of first love and the decisions that haunt us forever. Renowned travel photographer Maggie Dawes is unexpectedly grounded over Christmas, struggling to come to terms with a sobering medical diagnosis. Increasingly dependent on a young assistant, she finds herself becoming close to him, and as they count down the last days of the season together... She begins to tell him the story of another Christmas decades earlier, and the love that set her on a course she never could have imagined. With over 100 million copies of his book sold, Nicholas Sparks is one of the world's most beloved storytellers, and his novels include 16 number one New York Times bestsellers. The Wish alternates between two timelines for travel photographer Maggie Dawes, present-day New York City, and... Ocracoke, North Carolina, in 1996, the year everything changed for the teenage Maggie. Oh my gosh, why is why is 1996 a long time ago now, Trisha? <laughs> I don't know, but it is. It was uh, way back in the day. Way back in the day. Oh you would be gosh. yeah. You would be well into of legal age to buy alcohol if you were born in 1996. Yeah. Oh gosh. In both timelines, The Wish is set around the Christmas holidays and makes a great seasonal gift for any romantics on your list. So thanks again to Grand Central Publishing and The Wish for sponsoring this episode. All right. I am very excited about this next question uh, that we got from Tara. I will, I will read this one too, just because I see so much of myself in it, Jess. <laughs> So, Tara says, hello, Jess and Trisha. Hope I am not too early, but I need a rec for The People We Need, or The People We Meet on Vacation, which is a book by Emily Henry for folks who haven't read it. She, Tara is looking for a book, as they say for myself. What I loved about this book was the pining, the longing, the regret, so much pining, and I loved it. My favorite romance of the year. So if you know about any other romance books with next level longing, please send them my way. Jess, what do you have? 
The first book I immediately thought of for this was Serving Sin by Angelina M. Lopez. It's the third book in a series and definitely go ahead and read all three books because they're great. But Serving Sin is going to give you that pining, that longing, and that regret. It's about uh, Cenobia, who goes by Sen uh, as a nickname, who is almost the person in charge of running her family's company. She's almost there, but she's not quite there. And she was kidnapped as a college student a long, well, not a long time ago, but long enough to be like in the distant past as this story is taking place. She was saved by Roman and she was his first rescue in his private security company that he created, which is now like a huge company. And she is in danger again potentially, and has asked him to come and protect her. So now they're older and wiser, or something like that. And on a frantic, multinational journey to find out who might potentially be trying to kill or at least hurt her, what's going on in her family's company, and why do I really like being around you and looking at you when we can't be together because you work for me? So with all of that happening, there is definitely plenty of pining. Gotta love it. I feel like I, the books that I have on this, the, one of the things that they have all sort of in common is that the pining and the longing, it, it sounds like this may be the case for at least one of your books too, Jess, is it exists for a reason, right? I think that's what makes the pining versus just like waiting around. <laughs> like, yeah. I think we've all read those romance books where it's like, oh my God, just get together. Like, right. this is fine. You're fine. Just get together. But in the books that I have um, for this question, there is very much a central element of people are either kind of working on themselves or they're dealing with really difficult circumstances. There is an element of something that's keeping them apart. And for um, my first rack, The Brightest Star in Paris by Dana Biller, that's something, it's personal circumstance in a way, but a lot of it is also trauma. Both of these characters are dealing with pretty serious, well, trauma. Um, so Benedict Moore, it takes place in the late 1800s. Benedict Moore is an American. He had fought in the Civil War. He met Amelie, who is the other main character, Shortly after that, when he was trying to recover from his different injuries, she helps him to do that. He goes back to America 12 years later. We are kind of dropped into this story. And in the time that he has been away, she has dealt with the aftermath of the siege of Paris. She has lost many, many close friends. She has lost her mother. It is just a very dark sort of war-torn time that Paris is is coming out of. And so they're both kind of managing those circumstances. And then as it turns out, she is also being haunted by ghosts, which I realize sounds a little ridiculous, but they uh, they make it work. Benedict Moore is the brother of Samuel Moore, who is the one of the main characters in The Widow of Rose House, which, again, big time uh, fan of that. And this book definitely has a lot of that same sort of as much as there is a lot of trauma and angst and longing and pining, there is also joy and and just a lot of love, a lot of really familial love, a lot of the families kind of coming through for each other and coming through for the people who who need that. And so I think that's why as much as there are parts of this book where you think like that these people have just really gone through a lot, there is enough support and there's so much just love and kindness to kind of help them pull through it. And there's a good amount of humor as well and ghosts and so much longing, so much pining. So that is The Brightest Star in Paris by Diana Biller. I haven't read that one yet, but I cannot wait because that sounds delightful. And it is. Another um, one that came to mind with the, the longing and the pining, maybe less regret, <laughs> is Role Model by Rachel Reed, which yet again is not the first book in the series. And I will always say read all of them uh, because the Game Changers series, I do not care about hockey. I do not watch hockey, but I love every single person who has existed in this universe. 
if you are not a sports romance person, I don't care. You should still read Role Model by Rachel Reed, which is, I think, the fifth book in the series. It came out this year. And it includes a character who existed in a previous book. His name is Troy. And he was kind of not the best person in the previous book. But Reed actually does his redemption arc very well. And he's got traded to a new team because he called out a guy that he considered a friend for being accused of sexual harassment. And the league didn't do anything, but he was going to say something. But of course, the team didn't like that. And the friend was a star player. So he got traded. And so he while he's adjusting to a new city, a new team, all of that, he meets Harris, who is the team's a social media manager and just the most joyful person alive. Um, and it's very much a grumpy sunshine opposites attract kind of story. But there is also this element of they work together, right? So even though there isn't any kind of chain of command or anything like that, it's still kind of odd for them to be in a relationship. And also Troy is it actually out? So there's that, but he can't stop being around Harris. And Harris is kind of clueless for a lot of the book, but still is really trying to be the best Harris that he can be, which is wonderful. Um, So we get sort of like this development of a friendship, but there's also that whole pining thing especially on Troy's end because he like can't figure out why he does not want to leave this person every time he's around him and why he does things like hang out with puppies and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's a hockey book, but it's not a hockey book. So Role Model by Rachel Reed is definitely the hockey romance that you want to pick up if you want some pining. And who doesn't? Sometimes when I'm doing book recommendations, I try to, as we did with Agnes Morris Wild Night, I try to do something that's a little bit short so that if folks, you know, if, if people are wary at all, uh, they have they have that option to to spend a little less time. Also, it's just very satisfying to finish a book. So <laughs> when it's 100 pages, it, it's a lot easier. So I actually recently read a book called Waiting for the Flood by Alexis Hall. It's short in that it is only about 100 pages, but also it, it takes place over the course of about a week. So you would think, how much pining can you really cram into a week? Oh, you can fit a lot. Uh, so Edwin, who is one of the main characters and who is the sole point of view narrator of the book, is living in a house. They are calling for flooding. He and his neighbor are fairly sure that there's going to be flooding in their neighborhood. They're trying to get ready for it. In the meantime, he is also dealing with the end of a relationship, a very serious long-term relationship with the person with whom he bought the house. Uh, so he's dealing with that. He's sort of trying to figure out what does this house still mean to him as it is about to be flooded. And he meets, as they are trying to do the, the sandbagging that you do when flooding is coming, he meets Adam, who is a civil engineer who helps uh, you know get everybody ready for the flooding and helps to prevent it to the extent possible. Uh, and they hit it off and it's adorable. And they talk about like game theory and all kinds of other just weird random stuff. And it's just lovely. And uh, Alexis Hall is just such a good writer. Mm-hmm. I think I probably have at least, you know, a dozen or 15 or 20 passages of hi- that are highlighted in this book, despite how short it is, just because I really love the way that he writes. And so I won't go too far into it beyond that. But it is just a Edwin kind of trying to struggle through the feelings of dealing with the loss of a previous relationship and potentially considering that that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be alone forever. So again, that's Waiting for the Flood by Alexis Hall. And once you finish that short book, if you realize you (laughs) want a nice little doorstopper to read that doesn't take place in a week, it takes place in potentially over a year. Giving people options, Jess. That's what we're here for. (laughs) The Devil Comes Courting by Courtney Milan, which you might have heard me discuss before, is all about pining. That should just be the description on the back of the book. No names, no plot, just pining. Um, 
but I'll tell you the names in the plot, just just so you get them. Just, just so we know. Yeah, fair. So The Devil Comes Courting is set in the 19th century, and Courtney Milan was had a very interesting thing to say about not particularly calling it Victorian, even though it is set in the time period that is considered Victorian, because it doesn't take place in England. It takes place in China, in Hong Kong, and in the United States, briefly. But this book involves Grayson, who is a ship captain who is determined to make an international telegraph line. And to do that, he has to be able to get into China, but he also has to finish laying the line across the Pacific Ocean. So he finds Amelia, who potentially can build a code allowing telegraph messages to be sent in Chinese without having to like use anglicized letters or numbers and then like translating them, a completely natural Chinese telegraph system. So he hires her to do that while he goes along and continues laying the telegraph line across the ocean. So you can kind of guess they don't spend much time together in this book. The time that they spend together is wildly significant, especially considering it is all longing. Like, relationship starts as not quite friendship, builds into something else, but there is always that underlying longing. And then they're separated, and there's more longing. So if you want the longer longing experience, you definitely want to check out The Devil Comes Courting by Courtney Milan. All right. And I have got one more for you, too. It is called How to Find a Princess. It is by Alyssa Cole. So second Alyssa Cole mention of the of the episode. This one is, it's a sort of a retelling of the Anastasia story, of the Russian Anastasia story, although this is a very different place and a very different princess. It's a contemporary. Makeda Hicks is a woman living in New Jersey with her grandmother helping to run an Airbnb. She's recently lost her job. Her girlfriend has left. Like Things are not going great. And then one day, an investigator from the World Federation of Monarchies, Bez, comes and says, hey, I think that you might be a princess from Iberania, which is a thing that Makeda has some experience with. Her family has talked about it for a long time, but she wants no part of it. Bez manages to convince her for, you know, through a a variety of ways, but a lot of it is just sort of stubborn determination. And they uh, set out to see whether or not she is a princess. Makeda is determined to convince everyone that she is not. Bez is convinced that she is, and that finding this princess will restore honor to her family. There's kind of a lot going on there. Again, it is two people who are sort of trying to figure out some of what they are dealing with themselves. But there is absolutely attraction. There is a uh, there's a tr- they have to travel to um, Iberania, and they I, there's a little bit of a spoiler, but they find out that they are actually doing it in a, a ship transporting shipping containers, cargo. It's a cargo ship, basically. But there, and there's in a shocking turn of events in the cargo ship, there is only one bed. <laughs> uh, so it is. It's a lovely book. There is a lot of pining from across the broom in this one, um, uh, and I think. I think it will scratch that itch, that that itch for longing. Uh, And then you get to find out at the end, too, whether or not Makeda is a princess. So that is How to Find a Princess by Alyssa Cole. I think before we go too much further, Jess, why don't we pop in and do uh, another sponsor? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, this is uh, one of our favorites. This episode is uh, sponsored by Sips By. So... Is there anything better than curling up with a steamy book and a steamy cup of tea? In this case, I'm curling up with a steamy bunch of book recommendations and a steamy cup of tea, which is also pretty great. <laughs> uh, SipSpy makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The SipSpy box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, SipSpy plays matchmaker to help you discover delicious teas you'll fall in love with. Explore teas from over 150 global brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. 
Gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby.com. That's www.sipsby.com. You can subscribe and you'll receive four new teas each month chosen just for you. Each Sips by box includes loose tea, bag tea, or a mixture of both based on your preference, and makes 16 or more cups of tea. Sips by accounts for your caffeine tolerance, flavor preference, and even your dietary needs. I will tell you, Jess, I had a uh, unique tea experience over the course of the last week because I broke my French press. Oh, no. Uh, which sounds very fancy, but I just don't have room in my apartment for any other way to make coffee. So I have actually been drinking a lot more black tea in the mornings instead of drinking coffee. And it has been delightful. And it has the sips by teas have come in very, very handy because my box um, had some caffeinated and some uncaffeinated. So even though the one I'm drinking right now is a ginger that is not caffeinated, the ones I've been drinking in the morning have been really helping me through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to be able to do that. And you would think that I would in- have uh, taken the chance to enjoy some of my non-caffeinated selections. But honestly, every chance I've gotten, I've had some caffeinated tea and have a, like horribly run out of the good ones very quickly and had to go online to find more of a very specific black currant tea that I couldn't find anywhere locally. So, <laughs> Yeah, but that is kind of one of the nice options, though, is that they do have the teas online for you to order if you're excited about it. Yeah, because like Trisha said, you will fall in love with some of these teas and you will do whatever is necessary to find more. And if you're like me, a dragon tea hoarder, um, (laughs) you will end up having all four of those teas every time you get a new box and then going off in search of more because some of us have healthy relationships with tea, and some of us drink at least two cups a day, uh, if not more. So an even healthier relationship (laughs) is what that sounds like to me. (laughs) I think that sounds great. Yeah. So thanks, Sipsby, for introducing us to some great teas that we now have to wait for arrival of. Well, and that's, you can wait for arrival, or if you are new, you can, like we said, hop online and go to uh, sipsby.com. You can follow them at sipsby on Instagram. That's S-P-S-B-Y. Um, there are weekly getaways. And if you are listening to this podcast, you can use the code WIR for 50% off of your first box at www.sipsby.com. So go get yourself some tea so that while um, maybe by the time we are doing our next round of recommendations, you can be listening and drinking tea. Yes. All right. I'm going to let you read our next question. It's kind of long, so so feel free to to shorten as you see fit, but we'll give people a break from my voice. Okay. Well, our next question is from a requester with the initial M. Over the pandemic... I've sort of fallen into these ridiculously long paranormal romance series that started in the mid-2000s. It helped to read a lot of books all set in the same world, because it feels like there's a lower barrier to entry, like with fanfic series I already know. I like those too. I've read through most of Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark, and I'm making my way through Nalini Singh's Side Changeling books. I think I might do Black Dagger Brotherhood by J.R. Ward next. My recommendation request would be, are there any series like those, but with queer characters as the central heroes and heroines? I am enjoying those as popcorn reading, but sometimes the heterosexuality of it all kind of gets to me. I understand. The scraps of queerness in those books, when it exists at all, are not enough to sustain me. So if you know of some queer paranormal romance series, I'd love to get a wreck. Oh, man, my note, Jess knows this, in our agenda document, literally just says, I'm so delighted to introduce this person to Kate Rosha. <laughs> and so that's actually what I'm going to do is give you the author recommendation more than a, a specific book recommendation. And it's partly because the Kate Rosha website, it's it's actually two authors. It's um, Brie and Donna who write under that name. But their website is fantastic in so many ways. Mm-hmm. First of all, it will tell you what the different series are. But they also have a browsing section where it breaks down everything from like motorcycles are cool and then lists the books that have that possessive hero and then lists the books that have that. 
psychics, psychics, psychics is one of the categories. <laughs> Scientist heroine. But it also has uh, a good, it's got a list of the uh, heroines that are bisexual. It has a list of the polyamorous um, books that are in the, the different series. They have written a lot of books and they've got um, three different series that you can take a look and see. There's the Beyond series, which is erotic romance um, per their website, featuring a band of bootleggers fighting against a dystopian theocracy. Gideon's Writers is a post-apocalyptic romance series focused on a band of holy warriors building a better world. And the one that I – is the newest one that I would maybe recommend that you even start with, except that it's it's only two books in, is Deal with the Devil, um, Mercenary Librarian series. That book is a male-female pairing, but the female is bisexual. And it's a post-apocalyptic world where mercenary librarians are trying to save basically like most of the world's knowledge and books. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty serious, pretty serious situation. It is there's definitely a suspense element to it. But there's like a good amount of humor as well. Like I said, I, I would just recommend browsing the Kit Rocha website and seeing what appeals to you. But for sure, that is the author that I would put front and center. Awesome. I will say to M, if you do start the Black Dagger Brotherhood, it's heck of straight. Um, I will say that. But there is a queer ship that you start to enjoy going through the series, like they pop up in um, a few of the books, and then they eventually get their own full length, whole story on them novel. Um, and that one's Lover at Last. So if you feel like you're just being dug in by all of these straight people, hold on or don't but know that there is a full-length novel there. And then I think that's where I stopped. So I can't tell you what happens after that. But if you want to really dig into some really great paranormal romance, I definitely want to start with the San Andreas Shifters series by G.L. Carriger. G.L. is also Gail Carriger. So if you have read her Soulless series, which the Parasol Protectorate, which is a Victorian series set around a single couple. Um, you might be familiar with her writing. She decided to take sort of the elements of the magic in the Parasol Protectorate world and drop us into contemporary uh, San Francisco Bay Area, where a new wolf pack has settled north of the bay and in the first book the sumage solution they have to register with basically the department of magical creatures <laughs> in the area to say that they've settled because the wolf packs have they have territories so they have to like say that they're there and this is their territory blah 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 but the the pack beta who goes in to register meets max who is a sumage who they like clean up other mages mess or something. I don't completely understand all of the magical terms, but they kind of hit it off. And then there's a, a greater story happening. And all of these creatures are, you know, fun and interesting. And this is a special wolf pack because basically all of them are queer. Um, so the whole series consists of queer stories um, and I'm not sure if Gail Carriger is continuing with the series, but the ones that she's written have been really fun. This one's all you. I gave Kit Rosha was my uh, was my recommendation. So if you've got others, I just want to do another author recommendation of Holly Trent. Um, I Perfect. know that her Norston Wolf series and her Masters of Maria series both have queer elements in them. Um, they're not all queer like the um, San Andreas Shifters books, but they um, have a, a lot of different representations in the stories. And they are very easy to dig into as far as ease of picking up the world building. So and and I think her website probably is not quite the Kit Rosha deal. But you can definitely like figure out where you want to go looking at Holly's stuff. She's written so many different kinds of stories that you can just start and have enough backlist to read forever. 
Well, and I think our, so. So that is very helpful. We'll make sure. Uh, obviously, all of these links are going in the show notes. <laughs> but we had an even more kind of specific recommendation that came next from April. That is another one that is. Uh, it is outside my wheelhouse, Jess. When you came through with like four titles on this, I was like, you know what? I think I think I'm going to let Jess answer this one, but I will pose the question. April says, I'm looking for a romance between a vampire and a human that reads more like a traditional romance. They get to know each other. They get to like each other. They fall in love. Aw, isn't that the dream? It is. Uh, I'm not. That was a Trisha comment. That was not from the email. Now we're back to the email. Uh, I'm not interested in a faded mate sort of thing. I really liked J. Emery's Frostbite. And from The Dark We Came, I just want more and longer. Thanks. All right, Jess, what do you have? Because this one is... I realize I don't th- I don't know if I have read aside from, you know, the True Blood series and the Twilight series, I don't know that I've read a vampire romance. I got to tell you I've read a significant amount of vampire romance and I went a long time without reading any. So I have recently been picking up more, which is maybe why I have a few to recommend that actually aren't incredibly long. I think they're all a little longer than Frostbite, but not From the Dark We Came. Sorry, April. But they are all delightful stories that involve a vampire and someone who is not a vampire, but they don't have the whole like faded mates or, or anything like that. So the first one is Wanting a Witch by Lauren Connolly. It's actually a solstice romance, so now would be a great time to pick it up. It's a novella, so it's less than 100 pages, but just under, like a a 98, I think. And it features a witch, (laughs) if you couldn't tell from the title, and a vampire. And they had known each other before, but not really. So when one of them shows up on the other's doorstep late at night to say thank you, for saving their life before it kind of you'd think it would kind of be the end of it or they both think it would kind of be the end of it but other things start happening and they spend a lot of time around each other as roommates um so there's a lot of oh pining um and There's a lot of pining on this episode of Wedded Romance. (laughs) Apparently so. Um, And there's also some other elements to their backgrounds as a witch and a vampire, which are a little different in this world. But the story is really about the two of them as individuals growing and learning and becoming better people and also falling in love. So that's Wanting a Witch by Lauren Connolly. And then in the kind of opposite direction is Human Enough by ESU, which is about a vampire and a vampire hunter. So you've got your vampire hunter who basically became one because he knew how. And he is not quite middle rank. He's kind of middle rank. And There's something going on in his agency where people are sending hunters to places to either kill people who aren't actually vampires or to be killed by other weirdness. Um, So there's all of this stuff happening. And he also ends up first being captured and then saving a young, well, young vampire, a young looking vampire who's actually 100 years old, who doesn't want to be kind of the evil murderous person that his longtime partner is. So it's a story, it's a dual timeline, actually, which is kind of weird because it's like now and six months ago. Um, But it's really cute. And while there is a vampire hunter and vampire element, it's very different from Frostbite. So I think you can go in knowing that you'll enjoy it because it has similar elements to Frostbite, but is a much 
more different kind of book. And it also has neurodivergent representation and asexual representation. So if you're looking for that, you will find it in Human Enough by ESU. Another one that is a relatively short read is Good Enough to Eat by Alison Gray and uh, Jay. And the vampire character likes to go to AA meetings because it is helping her with not drinking blood. And oh, that's really multi-purpose. That's kind of nice. That's really like the most important thing you need to know about that story. And she ends up in a situation where she meets this other woman, and they develop a friendship and something more. And it turns out that other woman is actually a gin. So it is another book that involves like multiple supernaturals, but it's very much like contemporary modern day. Nothing else is really happening besides the fact that these two people are supernatural creatures. But it's to- it's told like a very straight love story, like sh- straight as in not like other things happening. It's very J, um, if you've read books by J. So that was Good Enough to Eat by Alison Gray and J. And then the last one that I want to throw out, because it's very different from the others, is the Soulless series, which I mentioned in our previous set of recommendations. It is set in Victorian England, and the main character, Alexia, who I love, she's one of my favorite characters, is, I can't remember what they call her, but basically if she touches a supernatural, they become human while she's touching him. So she's kind of like persona non grata among supernaturals. But there is this werewolf that she just cannot stand and he can't stand her either and you know where that kind of thing goes so (laughs) i know where that kind of thing goes so this is this is more like an urban fantasy series where the whole series follows the two of them but it's lots of fun very dry humor and wit and interesting stories and extra characters and it has a middle grade and like new adulty kind of series connected to it too. So once you read those five, you can expand your your interest in the Parasol Protector universe with those two series, which are published traditionally. And then she has also written some novellas and I think full length novels that are also set in that universe that are lots of fun too. Um, so if you dive into that, it's still probably a little closer to the paranormal series that you're thinking of, but it's got vampire lore and stuff in it too. All right. Thank you for handling that. I will say too, I mean, if you are interested in a sort of long series of books about a human and a vampire and a variety of other characters, I'm not going to give away like sort of the AGA ending or so I'm not going to say it's necessarily traditionally romance, but it might actually be worth checking out the Southern Vampire series um, by Charlene Harris, which is the series that True Blood is based off of. And the first of those books is Dead Until Dark. Again, not quite a romance recommendation, but but you if if my experience in 2012 is any indication, (laughs) you can very much fall headfirst into that series uh, and not come back up for air until you're like six books in. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. uh, All right. Let's see. Let's see if we can squeeze one more in on this episode of When in Romance. Our recommendation shows go long. They know that it's fine. Yeah. You want to ask this one, Jess, from Kat? All right. So this one is from Kat. Hi, Kat. I'd like some cozy period romance recs, please. Something comfortable and sweet with humor, like Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory, but set in the past. All right. So uh, again, my note here is hello and welcome to the entire Desidere catalog. <laughs> I feel like this is very much what I go to Tessa Dare for. Her books tend to be very funny. They tend to be very sweet. There's There often is some angst or some... Drama, consternation, I'm not saying they're without conflict, and and sometimes there can be trauma as well, but they are lovely, light, funny kinds of books. Romancing the Duke is a favorite of mine. I think it's the first Tessa Dare that I read. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about uh, a daughter of a famed author who, (laughs) like, there's a lot of 
What did we say, Jess? It is LARPing or it's not LARPing? LARPing? Okay, it is LARPing. It's definitely LARPing. Yeah. There's live action role play of, of the books that this uh, woman's father has written. Like she's very much living sort of in his legacy and, and she inherits a castle. So she goes to claim her castle and it turns out it is already uh, in the possession of a very cranky duke. And there is like, there's a ferret. Like there's, it's it's a lovely book. Romancing the Duke is great. I will also mention The Duchess Deal. I feel like all you need to know about The Duchess Deal is that it uh, starts with a woman who has spent a lot of time and energy making a wedding dress for someone whose then fiance has called off the wedding. So uh, the woman, Emma, puts on the wedding dress, goes to the guy who called off the wedding and was like, no, I'm sorry, I don't care if you're a duke, I need to get paid for this dress. And then he says, let's get married. And the the and we're off to the races. <laughs> but like I said, that's it's very much a Tessadere kind of wheelhouse. I will also say, and I'm sure you have some thoughts on this too, Jess, I think it is worth noting that I think probably if you listen to this podcast, you know that we try to give people sort of a diverse and inclusive list of books and characters and stories so that everyone can see themselves um, or the people around them reflected in romance. And I think oftentimes with historical fiction, when we're thinking about what is fun or sweet or funny, it, there's a real, I think, consideration to the fact that historically a lot of marginalized populations were not dealing with fun and funny and sweet and cozy mm -hmm. circumstances. And of course, there's still love. And of course, there's still joy and family. And all of that is so, so important. And we can't leave it behind. But I think when you're kind of just talking about like, a fun romp in a castle, you don't always see the stakes being quite as low for some of the, the you know, the more, whether it's people of color or queer populations or characters dealing with disabilities. It's just sort of a different, it's a different world. Mm -hmm. So I, like I said, I, you may have more have more thoughts on that, Jess, but I did want to kind of flag that as just a reminder for anybody reading historical romance, something to keep in mind. Yes, it is a different world, which is why The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Mm -hmm. I think this is like the third Courtney Milan recommendation I've done just in this episode. It's fine. Was such a delight because like you said, like I think about Alyssa Cole and Beverly Jenkins books and while they are delightful and still joyful, there is a lot more underneath in all of those books, especially writing in the time periods that they do where it's like, it's wonderful, but it's not comfortable. Yeah, that's a great description. So thinking about like the books of authors that I love, there's a lot of that going on. But something like The Duke Who Didn't, which takes into account the fact that these are people of color in a time period where there are people who do not like people of color, but also taking into account the fact that they could have joyous, joyful periods where they can just be and you know they can make lists and make sauce and be with each other and speak other languages if they want but be perfectly adept at speaking english because they are english um, like there there's all of that in that story and the people around them are just great people who not specifically don't care who they are, but do not bring that into their everyday interactions with them. And that is just something that makes this this particular book a really great past romp. It is. It's different from the like the weird colorblind thing that they did going on with Bridgerton. It's actually like Oh yeah. Taking into account the racial backgrounds of these people and still letting them have the lives that they have mm -hmm. which is just wonderful and the title of that one again sir it is the duke who didn't by courtney milan speaking of a repeat author recommendation i will just give a quick shout out to the infamous miss rodriguez by lydia san andres we mentioned earlier this is another shorter one it's a novella it's about a, a woman who is essentially in an arranged engagement, and she wants to break it off. So she is trying to get involved in a scandal of some kind so that her person that she's engaged to that she does not want to marry will be appalled and call off the engagement. 
Problem is, her um, family has hired a man to make sure that she doesn't get involved in any kind of scandal and that she gets married because they're they're very invested in this engagement. Well, it turns out that, um, you know, Miss Rodriguez tends to you know have some feelings for the the person who's supposed to be keeping her out of scandal. <laughs> it's just a really lovely short um sweet book again about uh, a family in the Caribbean. I think it's a made up island again uh, but yeah, so the infamous Miss Rodriguez is I think a charming little short cozyish historical if that's what you're looking for. And if you want another another short very cozy like fireplace cozy kind of historical the companion by e E. ottoman is just the coziest it's a post-war 20th century novel um which we don't get a whole lot of in romance and it includes three trans people living in upstate new york falling in love with each other and occasionally themselves again and just being around each other and living the way that they can in their best way in upstate New York in the late forties. <laughs> yeah. I, when you talked about cozy, Jess, I remember thinking something similar about two rogues make a right by Kat Sebastian. It's not so much a coziness, but a gentleness. Mm. It's about two longtime friends, Will and Martin, who are when they, the book opens, one of them is uh, recovering Martin is recovering from a, a long-time illness that has had a, a pretty major flare-up, and Will is caring for him. Martin also has some regrets that he's trying to work through that are related to Will's family, uh, although it's really more regrets of his family than his own. This is one of those books that when we talk about a book that is very much character-driven and not so much plot-driven, this mm-hmm. is 100% that. It, ha- it does have that sort of cozy, like, these are two people trying to care for each other, trying to figure out how to care for themselves. Yeah, it's just a really lovely kind of romance. It's the third in the Seducing the Sedgwick's trilogy, but I think you could read it on its own if that was your preference, although the whole series is very good. Mm -hmm. That's Two Rogues Make a Right by Kat Sebastian. You want to sneak one more in? I'll just throw out one more, both author and book recommendation. Olivia Waite's Regency romances are delightful and joyful and they can be a little uncomfortable but not to the point where you're not still like just in it and the lady's guide to celestial mechanics involves translation and um sponsorship and love and new relationships and not really knowing how to be in a relationship and there's just all of this great stuff that's happening in all three of her books um i think there are three right trisha she has three out yes yes one of them might be shorter but yeah yeah they're full-length novels but they're a little shorter than you might be used to but they're all very fun and interesting and involve people doing very interesting things with careers you don't think about when you think about Regency England. Um, so once again, the that's anything by Olivia Waite, but specifically The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. Hooray. And if you are thinking to yourself, wait a minute, how come you didn't answer my question? If you are Jenny or Casey or Magdalene or other <laughs> other questions from Kat, or uh, Becca, or somebody who I haven't even put on the list yet because you just emailed today. <laughs> Don't worry, we are going to we're going to get to the rest of the questions. We just we can't hold everyone hostage today. We're we're just gonna wait and answer. We've got some really great questions about um, social justice and particularly environmental issues that we're going to be talking about. We've got more questions about witches. We have questions about romances without sex on the page or with kind of more relationship development. We got all kinds of, there's a question about solar punk romance. I'm not sure we're going to be able to answer that one. We might have to (laughs) defer to our colleagues at FFS. Yeah, we'll see. There's dancing recommendations. (laughs) There's, There's a lot polyamorous romance. So we're very excited to get to all of those questions. And we will in a couple of weeks. So I don't know, Jess, what else would you say? Like I said at the top, feel free to email us your questions and know that if we don't make it to them on the podcast, 
we will do everything in our power to at least send them back to you. Because y'all are a ravenous bunch and we love your questions and where they might lead us. Like, Trisha and I have to go figure out if there are any solar punk romances out there. <laughs> I mean, what a fun journey to be on. Yes. And do feel free to send those to us at one and romance at bookriot.com. You can also find me mostly on Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. And you can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. Thank you so, so much to everybody who has sent in recommendation requests so far. It is one of the best, probably the very best thing for me about doing this podcast is how engaged everyone is on the listening end. And it means a lot. It does. It means a lot to me, too. Thank you all. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.